It was not that you worked with the grace of God and caused it to appear. It is not that you appealed to the grace of God and persuaded the grace of God to appear. You were dead in the domain of death and the grace of God appeared. It is unconditional. This is Timeless Truth Today, and I'm your host, Matt Williams. Welcome to part two of Grace Abounding Unto Salvation and Perseverance from Pastor Paul Twist. Pastor Paul's text for this day is Romans 5, verses 12 through 21, and then Romans 8, verses 12 through 17 in parts three and four. Two essential passages on Christian grace from the Apostle Paul. If you're a follower of our Lord Jesus Christ, committed to serving his church here on earth and spreading the gospel, Do you sometimes doubt your salvation? Martin Luther and some other professor theologians stood up and preached the real gospel, justification by faith alone. They took deadly risks in arguing with the church establishment of the day. Quote, our brothers and sisters in Christ are wandering and have no eternal assurance, end quote. Grace was rediscovered and made public in 1517 It was the doctrine of grace, much of which came from carefully studying the Apostle Paul's first century letter to the Romans. Appreciate the joy of grace-assured living as we listen now to Grace Abounding Unto Salvation and Perseverance, Part 2. Now Paul moves into a discussion about the domain of life. He's already hinted at it in verse 14, when he talks about Adam as a type, a type of the one who was to come. So he's saying that in some way, Adam prefigured another individual. He says that in some way, Adam shows us, patterns for us, something of one who was to come. And then he moves into this glorious discussion of the domain of life, And he does so by way of a series of comparisons. The first comparison he makes is of the two representative heads. Verse 15, the free gift is not like the trespass. If many died through one man's trespass, that's Adam, much more of the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. So the first difference is that the domain of life has over it a different man. Adam sits over the domain of death. The domain of life has over it Jesus Christ. And as Paul invokes his name there, I do believe Paul has in view the sum total of Jesus Christ, the totality of Christ, not least his sinless life, his sin-atoning death, and his glorious resurrection. He brings into view the whole Christ as the means by which the domain of life is made a possibility. And with Jesus Christ established as the head over this domain, his next comparison concerns our status. Our status in the domain of life is altogether different. Verse 16, the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. 
that the free gift, following many trespasses, brought justification. You see, this is how we begin to understand the much mores of Romans 5. You read through the entire chapter, and what you see over and over again as a constant drumbeat is Paul's use of this phrase, much more. Much more. The much mores of Romans 5 are given to us so that we would understand that the domain of life is not simply an opposite mirror image to the domain of death. Do not allow yourself to think of the domain of life in that way. The domain of life far surpasses the domain of death in every respect. It is not simply that by entering the domain of life, you no longer stand condemned. Much more than that, you are now clothed in Christ's righteousness. Your sin has been dealt with. Undoubtedly, your sin has been washed away, but it does not stop there. The domain of life is not simply an opposite mirror image to the domain of death. Much more, we have been justified. Our sin has been dealt with, and now we have been clothed in Christ's righteousness. And the third comparison that Paul makes between the two domains is of our experience. He says... Verse 17, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So make the comparison. Look at the way in which Paul is comparing the two domains. In the first domain, verse 14, the only thing that reigned was death. Death reigns over the domain of death. But look who reigns in the domain of life. It is us that reign. It is grace that reigns. It is Christ that reigns. We are all caught up in this wonderful victory that is the domain of life through the one man, Jesus Christ. And so our experience in the domain of life is wonderfully, wonderfully more than that in which it was in the domain of death. Not a mere opposite, but far more abounding. This is the domain of life that the gospel brings. And we must ever keep it before us. Now, just as there has been a rise in secularism in our society over many decades, that has been helped and aided by lots of other societal trends. Individualism and consumerism and utilitarianism, all of these isms. And they all work together so as to produce, at least in part, the end result that life today is a lot more transactional than it used to be. It's one of the saddest realities of life in society today is just how transactional it is and non-relational. The days are gone when it would be entirely appropriate to turn to the person beside you in the coffee shop and speak to them. You turn to the person on the plane and try to strike up a conversation. They think you're ill. There's something wrong with this person. Don't think that the transactional nature of our existence is not affecting your apprehension of the truth. The reason I say that is because I do believe all too often we have a very reduced understanding of the gospel 
of the domain of life, one that we have boiled down to a mere transaction. So if I was to ask you today, tell me the gospel, perhaps you would say something to the effect of, I have, I have trusted in Christ for my salvation and he has forgiven my sins. And you're not wrong. You're absolutely right in so much as that is the gospel. And then I say, well, keep speaking. And now you draw a blank. Now there's, there's, there's no words coming out of your mouth. And you say, but I've told you the gospel. And the reality is the gospel is so much more. Now don't misunderstand me. The gospel is a transaction. There is a transaction that occurs when you put your faith in Christ. His robes for mine. My sin is dealt with. It was paid for finally, utterly, totally, never to be accounted against me again. More than that, I've been clothed in his righteousness and made right with God. There has been a transaction at the cross. The gospel is a transaction, but it is so much more. If you search the scriptures and think about how God presents the gospel to us so often, he shows us it is a way of living. It is a manner of life. It is a domain, a sphere of existence. The domain of life is the domain of the gospel. And Paul has in view here when he talks about us reigning in life. He has in view all of the glorious truths that he gives us in the first few verses of chapter 5. And all the glorious truths that he'll go on to give us in chapter 8. He has in mind that we would consider and appropriate to our hearts each and every day the wondrous reality that we were enemies with God. We were far off from Him. We were set against Him to tear down His glory every step of our way and elevate our own glory. That was the reality of our existence. And the gospel is such that now we have been justified by faith. We have peace with God. The gospel is the glorious reality that we had no spiritual father, no everlasting, eternal father to care for us. We were orphans wrapped up in the bondage of our sin and our depravity. We were doing the bidding of the prince of the power of the air and he did not care for us. He only cared to bring about our ruin and our destruction. And the gospel is now that by the spirit of adoption, we call God our father. The gospel is the reality that we had no everlasting hope. When our lives would come to an end over which we have zero control, God can end our life in his wisdom whenever he so chooses. And the reality is is we would stand before him in judgment and be banished to everlasting, ongoing torment. And the gospel is now. We look forward to the appearing of Christ. Because we know we do not face judgment in that day, but a welcome into his kingdom. This is the domain of life. This is the reality for everyone who is in Christ. This is our means of existence. I was thinking, as I was pondering the domain of death and the domain of life, and the responsibility we have to keep both ever before us, An experience we had recently, Laura and I went to visit an art gallery in a city elsewhere out of state, and we were excited to go because there was one painting in particular that Laura had been reading about, and it was at this gallery, and then we looked into it, and in the 
room in which this one painting was, there were many other paintings that we were eager to see. There were some Monet's and there was a few Rembrandt's, there was a William Turner and some Gainsborough in there, and we were eager to get to this room. So we arrived at the gallery and we started to follow the map so as to arrive. And the way they had configured the gallery, in order to get to this room, we had to first go through a different room where they had put lots of modern art. (laughs) It was modern in, in the most extreme sense that you could possibly think of. And not only was it modern in its form, but the content, the things being depicted, and just left a, a bad taste in the mouth. But you had to walk through this room. And, and so we went through and then we got to the room that we were excited to be in. And we took in those paintings for far longer than I thought we would. We just gazed upon the beauty of these pieces of art. And later on that afternoon, I thought about our experience and I just wondered whether the arrangement of the first room leading to the second was intentional. And I don't imagine it was, but it had an unintended effect. You have to keep in view the domain of death so as to savor the domain of life. You have to, as a responsibility for all who are in Christ, bring before your mind's eye the truth of the domain of death, of where you were in Christ, before Christ, apart from Christ, where you were and where you are now in Christ. And it is our responsibility to turn over the glories of the scriptures, the truths that are given to us in chapters such as Romans 5, but all the way through the Bible that preach to us the glories of the domain of life so that we would know who we are. This is Christian anthropology. What does it mean to be a Christian? It means that you exist in the domain of life. And with both ever set before you, then the question comes, How on earth did I get here? Paul has still not answered the question. How did I move from the inescapable prison cell that was the domain of death so as to find myself each and every day in the domain of life? The answer is one word, namely grace. Verse 15, Paul says, The free gift is not like the trespass. If many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Again, verse 17, if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Verse 20, The law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Verse 21, as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. How do you move from the domain of death into life? It is by grace and grace alone. Now what is the nature of this grace? I want to stress, if you have done the hard work of giving your attention to the context, if you have given your attention to the flow of the argument and traced out the contours of Paul's thought, understanding the nature of this grace is easy. 
It just oozes off the page. It's not, it is not difficult to understand the nature of this grace if you have established the context correctly. So the first thing that we say is that this grace is unconditional. It has to be so. You were in the domain of death. You didn't have a foot in the domain of death. You existed in the domain of death. It reigned over you. You were doubly guilty because you had sinned in and with Adam. You couldn't escape. And therefore, God's grace had to be unconditional. It was not prefigured based upon a merit of your own. Because you're in the domain of death. It was not predicated upon something that you did because you were in the domain of death. God's grace did not come to you because it saw what you would become, because you were in the domain of death. It is emphatically unconditional. If you look at verse 15, we see hints of this simply in the language Paul chooses. The grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ. Paul even describes the grace as the grace of God, meaning before you had any experience of it, it was an attribute of God, a characteristic of himself. He is gracious before you were, before you had any awareness of the domain of death and the domain of life, God is gracious. It really has nothing to do with you. That is why Paul writes elsewhere to Titus, the grace of God appeared. The grace of God appeared, bringing salvation to all men. It was not that you worked with the grace of God and caused it to appear. It is not that you appealed to the grace of God and persuaded the grace of God to appear. You were dead in the domain of death and the grace of God appeared. It is unconditional. Not only that, but the nature of this grace is that it is irresistible. It is irresistible. Again, you were in the domain of death. You had no spiritual inclination towards the things of God. You did not have the wherewithal to appeal to God's grace, nor did you have the ability to think through whether you might accept God's grace. By virtue of the fact that you existed in the domain of death, when it came to you, it caused you to live. Or, to put it another way, when Jesus calls Lazarus from the tomb, Lazarus has no saying in whether he will come forth. He's speaking to a dead man. Lazarus, come forth. He doesn't get to deliberate whether he will obey or not. God's grace is irresistible. If we were to trace out Paul's argument in more detail, what we would find is a series of these causal relationships where God decreed, and it was. Much like Genesis chapter 1 in the creative act, in the salvific act, God speaks and it happens. His grace is always, only, ever irresistible. And then finally, his grace is effectual. It never fails. When God calls a man from the domain of death, he finds himself in the domain of life, and that is where he will be for all eternity. He will reign alongside the Lord Jesus. He will reign with grace and he will reign unto glory. His grace is effectual. 
Now, if you can keep in view the domain of death and the domain of life, and the only means by which one can transfer from one domain to the other, namely grace, if you can keep these realities in view, it will shape the way you live. If you can ever bring before you the realities of the domain of death, the glories of the domain of life, and the only means of transferring, namely the saving grace of God, it will dispel all your fears. It will dispel the fears that consume you. The fears that eat you up at 1 a.m. in the morning. When you allow your mind to race ahead and to ponder things that are not reality and start to embrace things that are not truth. And they are eating you from the inside. If you can keep in mind the realities of the domain of death and the domain of life and the means of transferring to one to the other, namely grace, and the fact that now you reign in life with the Lord Jesus, it will inform your fears and dispel them. It is a great reality check to rehearse the gospel to yourself. If you can keep before you these truths of these two domains and the means of transferring to one to the other, it will change the way you conduct yourself as a believer in the church and in the world. It will grow in you an almighty zeal for the furtherance of the gospel because you will understand afresh each and every day where you have come from, the inescapable nature of that domain and your demise under the reign of death, and you will see the grace of the Lord Jesus insomuch as now that is not your reality. But you stand in an altogether different domain, not by anything you have done, but sheerly by the grace of God. And how could you respond with anything other than a desire to serve him and further the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? your zeal for service in the church, your zeal to proclaim the gospel to the lost will only abound as you keep these realities ever before you. If you can keep before you these two domains and the single only means of moving from one unto the other, your love for God and your worship of him will increase. You will see his perfect plan of redemption executed for you through his son, moving you from the domain of death to the domain of life by his grace. And your love will abound. Your worship will increase and your whole life will be lived with you saying, give me another avenue by which I might glorify my father in heaven. And you will keep loving him and worshiping him until Christ calls you home. You're listening to Timeless Truth Today. Midway through today's message, Pastor Paul answered a question, quote, Death reigned over the domain of death, but look who reigns in the domain of life. It is us that reign. It is grace that reigns. It is Christ that reigns. We're all caught up in this wonderful victory, end quote. Today's passage puts that in context. Chapter 5, verses 18 through 21 tells that Adam's disobedience brought sin and spiritual death into the world. Fortunately for mankind, Christ's obedience brought in the grace that God originally intended for mankind. Becoming a Christian, a follower of the Son of God, opens the domain of life. Have you accepted God's gift of grace in Jesus Christ? He loves you in spite of your shortcomings. If you'd like to learn more about eternal assurance of life, come to our website, timelesstruthtoday.org. 
timelesstruthtoday.org. Select broadcasts on the homepage, and there you'll find an abundance of teaching to help you understand God's gospel in Christ. Timeless Truth Today is a teaching ministry of Pastor Paul Twiss, a listener-supported outreach of Bethany Bible Church in Thousand Oaks, California. If you're in the area this weekend and you don't have a local church, you're invited to come worship with us Sunday at 10.30 a.m. The church is located at 200 West Bethany Court in Thousand Oaks. Come Monday, Pastor Paul will open up Romans chapter 8 for part 3 of our series, Grace Abounding Unto Salvation and Perseverance. I'm Matt Williams. Hope you have a great weekend. And thank you for listening to Timeless Truth Today. Today.